Hi everybody, this is Ben, and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is not professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This is episode 19 of the podcast, and week 22 of medical school is coming to a close. The last two weeks have been vacation, but as I've mentioned, vacation is kind of a relative term for me in medical school. I've had a lot of things going on, and this last week I've started reading into some of what we're going to encounter in the hematology and oncology part of our course So I have a few topics about blood to talk about and a new project that I'm working on that just came up this week. So let's get started. So this unit, we're talking about blood. Then we are going to move into talking about cancer. And this is because some of the cancers like leukemia and lymphoma are not traditional solid tumors. They're tumors of the cells of the blood, like white blood cells. Um, Anyway, I have a few interesting things that I've learned so far about blood that I wanted to share. The first thing is, what is blood? What is it made of? And there's a a lot of water. By weight, it's mostly water. Um, But if you take blood and spin it in a centrifuge, you end up getting two main parts, and that's the plasma and the cells. Well, actually, three parts because, um, let's see, you have red blood cells that are about 45% of what would be the entire tube. And then um, there's a tiny layer of white blood cells that sit above that. And then above that is the plasma, which is kind of a golden color, definitely not red, sort of a clearish colored fluid. So um, what what do each of these different parts do? So the red blood cells are plain and simple. Their only job really is to carry oxygen around your, uh, around your body. They pick it up in the lungs and it sticks to hemoglobin inside of the red blood cells. And then it um, releases from the hemoglobin when your blood cells get to the different parts of your body. Um, red blood cells are some of the only cells that don't have a nucleus inside. And that sort of is an extra indication that, uh, so, you know, in the nucleus, they would, that's where um, your DNA would sit. That's where new um, proteins get made for the cell and they don't have one of those. So their only job is to kind of float around for their average lifespan. I think it's like three months and they just, um, keep that going until they get degraded and new blood cells will replace them eventually that are getting made in the bone marrow. Plasma is the more clear part that's sitting above the red blood cells and That doesn't mean that it's boring. It actually has, there's a lot going on in the plasma. Um, Besides your blood cells, your blood, red blood cells, blood is sort of this highway around your whole body. And so anything that needs to travel from place to place, um, especially things from the liver that get made there and then need to act somewhere else in the body, those all might be sitting in the plasma. So there are a lot of things. One of the most important is the uh, mechanics for clotting your blood. So if a blood vessel breaks, then some of those things are going to 
recognize the damage, stick to it, and then create a site where a clot can form. And that's going to protect you from losing blood pressure and losing blood out of your cells, out of your blood vessels into the, the rest of your body. There's even one more part of blood that is talked about sometimes, and that's called serum. And it's easy to confuse that with plasma, but serum is what happens if you let the blood clot and coagulate. So that actually uses the part of the proteins that are sitting in the plasma. If those all get activated and then kind of form clots around all of the, and then you spin it down, then you're left with an, a much clearer fluid and that's the serum. And all that's in there maybe are going to be some antibodies and, um, smaller things that are that were floating around in the plasma the plasma kind of settles out once there's coagulation and then all you have left is serum so if you go to get your blood drawn uh, and the doctor wanted to get a complete blood count and analysis of of what's in your blood they would get a number back that would say um, what percentage of this tube is actually red blood cells and that would be called your hematocrit. And I'm not sure why it's called that, but that really comes down to when you spin the blood down, how much of the tube is filled up with red blood cells. And that is the main number that tells someone whether they're anemic or not. And anemia really means that you don't have sufficient red blood cells uh, once you start trying to figure out why you have anemia and how to fix it, then it gets much more complicated. And we're going to spend, I think, almost the whole first or second week talking about all the different types of anemia. But basically, anemia comes down to not having enough proportion of red blood cells in that, in that tube. And I wanted to talk about getting blood drawn at the lab. Nowadays, blood is usually being drawn so that it can be sent to a lab for really specific analysis, which could be anything from taking a drop of that blood and putting it directly on a microscope slide and having a look, counting all the cells, or it could be um, to try to grow bacteria or fungi that are uh, suspected to be living in your blood. Um, it could be to look for antibodies to viruses or to test whether vaccine was successful. Depending on what tests are being done, the tube is going to have a different color. And actually, the tubes themselves are kind of cool technology. Each one is color-coded because it has chemicals inside that are going to prepare the blood for further analysis. So sometimes the lab needs the blood to clot first so they can extract the leftover clear portion called the serum. Sometimes they need it to stay unclotted and then... And sometimes they need to uh, measure how long it's going to take for it to clot. So they need to not uh, add anything that's going to interfere with the clotting. So each tube has different chemicals, which let the blood be analyzed in a certain different way. Um, so if you ever watch a doctor drama and a new patient arrives and the patient is sick, but no one knows why and no one saw what happened and no family's around, they might say run a rainbow or get a rainbow of labs. And so the rainbow that they're talking about is going into the supply closet, getting a blood specimen tube with every different possible cap color, which means with anticoagulant, without anticoagulant, with preservative, without preservative, um, all the different kinds so they can run every test. Another cool thing is that the tubes are vacuum sealed. 
So blood is drawn from your veins, and compared to arteries, there's not really a ton of pressure in your veins. It's more like an oozing level of pressure. So to help the process of drawing blood be fast and efficient, all the air is sucked out of the blood specimen tubes, and they're vacuum sealed at the factory. So there are actually two reasons why there's a vacuum inside of the blood specimen tube. One, as soon as they hook the tube up, the blood gets sucked into the tube, and exactly the right amount fills the tube. The other benefit is that this blood doesn't get exposed to any extra oxygen, which typically degrades some of the things that are inside of blood and will change its chemistry. So you get a more accurate picture of what's going on inside of the blood in the body, and you also have faster blood collection. I volunteered to help collect data from people in Michigan who have received the monoclonal antibody Regeneron. The point of this treatment is to find high-risk people early on in their infection with COVID and then give them this antibody to prevent them from getting very sick and needing to be hospitalized. A vaccine gets your body to make its own antibodies, but this Regeneron and the other similar treatments are a one-time boost with a single antibody that was made in the lab. And the goal is that this antibody would seek out and coat virus particles and gum them up, prevent them from entering your cells, neutralizing them. So the theory is that early on, you can get ahead of the infection if you get an infusion of these monoclonal antibodies. And in Michigan, we have about 20,000 doses available, but so far I've only given out 1,500. So what we're doing in the next few weeks is contacting as many of the people who have been given an infusion of one of these antibodies and figure out whether it helps and whether they're able to stay out of the hospital. And then hopefully this will give everybody that's treating patients a clearer picture of how effective the therapy is. So I'll be fighting through the noise of the robocallers and uh, telephone scammers and trying to ask patients that have been treated with this antibody about their experience and hopefully getting a lot of good data that we can contribute to the study. Thanks for listening to the episode. That's it for tonight. Tomorrow I start my next block of school and vacation is over. Thanks to David Funkhauser for the theme music. And if you have any questions that you'd like to see in the next podcast, please email me at b-r-o-o-t at fastmail.com. Have a great week.